Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No share with Dr. Dave. Hello and welcome to the Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast. I am Dr. Dave Cornelius, your host. We are continuing the series Resiliently You to discover what makes people resilient to build high-performing organizations and sense belonging and healing. Giving us the opportunity to kind of share from a educational perspective on Agile for Humanity. My name is Dr. Charles Collingwood. I am a teach mathematics. Um, also work at the U of A. I am here with my couple of my very, very good friends, um, Blaze Cross and Rene Martinez. And I'm waiting for my other brethren, um, Kevin Cuff from UC Berkeley. Um, so how I how I want us to do this is kind of um, let's let's just talk about education, right? From your perspective, I'll give you a few um, a few pointers that we want to talk about, and uh, and then you could just chime in. And I want to hear your voice. You, you will hear my voice, but I certainly want to hear your voice and your perspective because we all have been through the education system at some point in our lives. So I think it would be awesome if we could just kind of contribute. Our ideas and thoughts about what it looks like for education in the 21st century. That's the whole idea, right? Like what's happening. But I'd like to introduce, um, um, have uh, Renee Martinez say something and then Blaze Cross, if you guys could chime in and tell us who you are and what brought you here. All right, all right. Good morning, or uh, depending on where we're at, I guess, right? Um, good morning, good afternoon uh, to everyone. My name is uh, Renee Martinez. I uh, had the honor of meeting Dr. Charles Collingwood way back. I want to say it was around 2005, 2006. Um, it was in those days that uh, in Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, uh, we, uh, we had what was called a ethnic studies departments, right, for, and I happen to work with, uh, specifically with the Mixed American Studies Department. And in those days, um, we would have to uh, travel to various sites um, and, and teach the classes, uh, specifically the class that I taught. Um, students were able to earn their uh, American history credit as juniors in high school. Um, and so within that, uh, Dr. Collingwood, I, he, he uh, was gracious enough to open the doors for me and I used his classroom during his prep to teach my class and it was in those um, in those days right that uh, we were we would often just sit around before and after and you know just start nerding out and talking shop on on education and urban education and and the disparities and it was just a deep beautiful conversation so it was in those days that we, we developed a, a relationship and have stayed in contact since um, and and uh, since then, um, I have um, moved on and um, moved up to, to the Phoenix area and um, uh, earned uh, my administrative certificate and have been serving in various uh, roles as uh, on campuses as uh, in an administrative capacity. So currently I serve uh, at uh, Maryvale High School in the Phoenix Union High School District. Um, and as an assistant principal of student success, right? So I'm one of four of assistant principals and then we have our, our principal. So in my area uh, specifically, it, it, it works with um, discipline, right? Um, social emotional, uh, uh, and, and we, have, we have a ton of resources in our district that, that I kind of uh, facilitate 
uh, at our campus, right? That includes uh, attendance liaisons. Um, uh, we have two social workers, um, a student success coordinator, a community liaisons. We have two community liaisons. Um, we have a, a, a behavior intervention specialist, and then we have a student prevention interventionist. All right, so we have a lot of resources. We are fortunate in that sense here in our district. There are a lot of resources devoted to uh, supporting right the whole child and um, and 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 just really supporting um, really being intentional about um, so often a student with the most needs are punished the most right and we're trying to disrupt that a little bit so I'll stop there. My name is Blaise Cross, and uh, I'm really privileged to be here today. I'm representing Southeastern Arizona. I'm actually a stone's throw from the border this morning here in Douglas, Arizona. So in my 18 years of experience in the math classroom, um, I've had the pleasure of working with, I would say, a population of students, much like um, Ms. Dr. Martinez spoke of. Um, my first five years was working with um, the students who were locked up right? They'd already been thrown away. And so that's an interesting place to get a perspective on teaching math. Uh, and then since then, I've just been right here in the corridor. So it, on any given day, my students could have one foot in America and one foot in Mexico. It brings a very interesting challenge that maybe we don't, we don't recognize or acknowledge as much just because we're not supposed to talk about it. So I'm glad we're here to talk about things that might be a little bit uncomfortable. I do hope that you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable today and share out things that really bring up these topics that maybe some people are too uncomfortable to address. So thank you for having me. Beautiful. Thank you, Renee and Blaze. Um, it's awesome. So uh, right now on the slides, you could see a few questions that we want to kind of tackle today um, as much as we can. Um, and the first one, of course, um, what are the main concerns in the current K-12 education system, right? That's a broad question, right? A lot of people have a lot to say about that. But certainly, um, we what we might find is that we all have kind of similar things, right? We might have a different perspective on it, but, but there are some major concerns that I have um, in the current system, being in the education system for the last almost 28, 29 years, you know, and I could see that there's some stuff that we should be concerned about. And oftentimes um, we kind of see stuff from our own, if we have a kid in high school or whatever, we see it from their point of view. And sometimes um, that's just a singular point, right? But in general, I think there are concerns that um, that certainly we could address today, at least at least talk about it. And the second question I think is, is, is where, um, I sit a lot and Renee Martinez just talk about is what are some of the tools and resources that can be used to address the disparity in education outcomes, especially for underrepresented minority students. So we know that that's a massive issue that needs to be addressed. Um, and we could talk a little bit about that and see what ways we could um, kind of influence the perspective that people have, right, as far as that is concerned. You know, so I'm, I'm gonna just kind of stop right there and, um, and then we'll continue. Um, the different um talk about these different questions as we continue because i know um i could talk start talk a little bit about what uh what i see as some of the main concerns um in the current system um right now is that um i 
my I believe that we are not preparing our students for what's to come, right? I think we still um, kind of teaching our kind of 20th century type of, 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 of education, and we are not moving fast enough in the 21st century, right? I mean, that's a broad statement, right? What does that mean? What, what do I mean by that? Well, for me, who teach mathematics at, you know, the highest level in high school, I teach AP calculus and dual credit math classes. So I see what we call the best of the best students. But even among those students, they have some serious deficit that needs to be addressed. And, and one of the biggest deficit is like, how do you engage in the big picture of education, right? In the big picture of, of um, your, your, your duty or your position beyond high school, right? So I, I think we need to do a much better job getting kids to be ready when they leave this confined, sanitized environment that is K-12 education. I think we are not doing, we could do a better job of preparing kids for the next level. I will stop right there and let's hear from other panel members and anyone could contribute in, and so forth. Uh, Blaze, you want to go? You want to speak? Muted. The word that's standing out to me right now is disparity and what that really means. And then speaking to equity and what that really means. And these words are thrown around. They're like popcorn words right now. People are using them. They're, they're the buzzword. It's what everyone's talking about. But I don't know that we've truly addressed what it means. And I hope today that's something that you'll see in this presentation, a, a sort of a, a direct approach to the facts. Maybe we can get to the bottom of what this really means. I'll just add, um, if, if I could, just some of the things that come to mind when I see um, kind of main conservers, it's kind of, they're various, right? Um, from very like site-based or like logistical um, uh, issues such as like the, the teacher shortage, right? Um, and then with that, um, the lowering of standards of who's in front of, who's in our classrooms, right? With uh, having, you know, teacher, you know, a staff in front of students who maybe aren't necessarily certified. Not that that's the end all be all, but uh, in big picture, right? As Dr. Collingwood was, was talking about the idea of the respect of the profession, right? And how the lowering of the standard um, has come with, I, I guess, out of, uh, out of desperation with with the with the teacher shortage and the ever going uh, unfilled classrooms that 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 we begin year after year with, um, so so that's that's a big issue, a big concern, right? And it's heightened in um, in urban schools, right? The need, the shortage is heightened in urban schools, um, and then um, I believe a big issue when we do get in the classrooms, right? Um, we still very much operate from an an assimilationist model, right? So they still very much be reinforced a very much of a colonial relationship, right? That can create that creates this uh, dysfunctional relationship with school and and the disparity widens, right? Um, where 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 we we again reinforce some of those uh, that colonial relationship, right? I think um, 
some of the rhetoric out there, right? Most current, right? The anti-CRT rhetoric out there and um, that's being pushed, right? So when we want, anytime we want to discuss disparities, be it professional development, be it uh, critical thinking and critical building critical consciousness within our students, um, that's often viewed as a threat, right? So we, we see this attack on, on critical race theory and critical consciousness and any analysis on disparities, right? They're gonna throw it as this quote unquote woke, woke culture that's you know perceived as a threat to, to our society. So um, th those are just some of the things that are standing out to me at the moment. from educators. It'd be awesome to hear some gems from people who have experienced education, looking at it from the other side. I'm just gonna chime in, Charles. I, I have a hard time when I hear colleagues and um, administrators or even people within the community talking about those kids. Who are those kids? What do you mean when you say those kids? Are they the brown kids? Are they the poor kids? Are they the troubled kids or the resistant learners, the special ed kids? I mean, let's categorize them further. And so those kids, that's something that's somehow infiltrated and it's very disturbing to me. Yes, um, yes, we all have definitely experienced that. Um, but I think um, that's the challenge that we have as educators, especially what I call conscious educators. And um, that's, just, that's just the way it is. And, and it's all my, like my job personally to really um, have a much better relationship with my students who can have these discussions, right? So that's, that's one thing that we um, I think is important. Um, I just wanna show a few graphs and data because I'm a data guy as you all know. So let me see, um, no, going in the wrong direction. So here is this, uh, so this here is this graph that I, I showed my students, you know, usually the first week of school or stuff like that, it's for them to really, and I asked the question, what do you notice, what do you wonder, right? Because we're in an education system. And they, they, we, so we have this long discussion about this. Um, and, um, and this for me is like, this is like looking at real data, right? So of course you have outliers and people who without a high school diploma could be a millionaire and all that stuff. And we have all these things, we have, you know, entertainers who make a lot of money and you have all these different variables involved. But certainly this data came from 2020, um, actually came from the census that we had recent census. So it's like the best possible data you could get, data of the whole nation. Um, so we kind of break that down nicely and, um, and students really interact with this a lot, you know, because now you could actually see some data and you could calculate exactly where are you on this and where do you want to be and what does it mean? What does it mean to even get there, right? So that's, that's from that perspective. And this is a powerful slide that I use with my students on a regular basis. And we use this whole thing, what do you notice, what do you want? Meaning that everyone has something to say. You know, it's not based on, on your skill level or whatever. You're just looking to see what do you notice? What do you wonder? 
And this generate, this could last the whole class period with question and answers going back and forth. And I think that's a good way that, I think it's a good way for me to kind of set up the scene for what I'm gonna do as an educator in my classroom. Any comments on that? I would just like to share that in my collaboration with Dr. Collingwood, I was I was inspired to use this same slide and this the students in my classroom really focused on less than a high school diploma. I mean, they were just talking back and forth about, I remember one specific comment. Well, Miss Cross, my Nana doesn't have a high school diploma. So what are you saying? She's stupid. She's never gonna, my Nana is the leader of our family and you should. And so these conversations, it's interesting to get the student's perspective and who their identity comes with them as you have these conversations. Mm -hmm. So I just threw a question in there for you, uh, Dr. Collingwood. And how do we increase increase vocational skills as a value-added option? That's a powerful question. I mean, the, the issue with vocational skills, how how it's how it's managed now. In most schools, they put the vocational skills for the people who are less than. You know what I mean? And that needs to change, you know? So people still have this idea that vocational is only like being a mechanic and stuff like that, right? Um, and they kind of kind of track students into that, in, into that field. But now that has changed a lot, right? We're talking about programming, computer science, data science. And so we have to change the narrative of what vocational skill is. But I think that's definitely one thing that needs to be I, I don't think we need to wait till you go to a vocational track to do that. We should be doing that in all classes right now, right? All classes should have um, a part of it where they do data science, where they do data analysis, where they do computer programming in every single class. And I think that's the, I think that is the direction we need to go because once you start to label stuff so the names, then you you kind of put certain people on those tracks, and we end up with the same thing that we always have. Anyone else, anything to add to that? I'll just chime in, Doc, uh, Dr. Collingwood. I think that brings up a, um, a valid point, right? Like how do we, from an asset-focused framework, bring it into kind of the entire academy without um, putting a label on it, right? Because I mean, you're very much speaking to um, the idea of the historical school tracking, right? that 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 has taken place right and all of the uh, how that perpetuated uh, the inequities and almost the uh, two-tier right wage system a uh, wage uh, system if you will and um you know here's for the for the intelligent and here's for the uh the labors right and here's your two different tracks so um but now given how it's evolved and how it embraced it and there of course there's dignity in all work right but the power in you know uh, the coding and computer programming and and, and all that um, how how vocational has evolved right so how do we kind of de um, stigmatize that if you will um, that, that's a good point you make
Well said, well said, well said. Let's, let's. Um, so here's another slide that kind of speaks to, um, it's kind of the same thing in a way, but now we, we put another dynamic here, right? We talk about, no, we talk about, okay, I think I messed up. No, we're talking about, um, hopefully you can see the slide carefully and, um, and now if we put a different dynamics in it, let's talk about recent culture, right? And then you could see how education attainment the database on race. Um, and I think um, for some people, this is very not very comfortable to talk about, right? But we have to be real. Um, and this is what the data is saying. I didn't make it up. I didn't create it. It's, this is the data from the Census Bureau, right? And then you could see how there is a major discrepancy of educational attainment based on race. And I will probably add culture. Right, and this this is this is real. So we look at the first slide, and we saw um, we saw uh, um, salaries based on educational attainment. Now this slide look at graduation um, graduation attainment, right, based on, on race, and you can see you can see who the people are that wouldn't be making the money based on that that matrix, right. And I think this is another powerful slide. And no, all this stuff I show my students. We go through this, you know, and they know me and they know I'm going to bring it, right? I'm not afraid of controversial issues. So I will do this, you know, bring this up and we look at it and we, we analyze it and we have deep discussions. And what that does to some students, like, they really start to think, man, this stuff is serious, right? This time period is serious where we are right now. So Anything you could do to get students to, to kind of be their best, I think is powerful. And I think that's the that's that's perspective I like to talk from, you know, like just, just bring your best, bring, bring your best today, right? And see what, see what happens. Did we have any comments from the second slide? Because I want to make sure that everyone have a chance to really talk and, and express themselves, right? There's a panel discussion. This slide makes me sad. <laughs> it makes me sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was an, if I can say, add real quickly, there was an article on LinkedIn that said, um, if black professionals who stand up for themselves, um, who so you know speak up for themselves at work about their accomplishments, generally tend to have an unfavorable performance review than their counterparts who are white, Asian, or Hispanic. Um, and it's 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 it just feels when I look at that bottom line, it just feels like what is happening that we're still just in the education, in the, in the school system, in the work environment, everywhere is just like a, an attack on black. It just, it just feels that way. Yeah, I feel you. I feel exactly what you're saying because, so now we are not talking about opinions, right? We are looking at data, right? So, so there is no, I mean, what can you say? I mean, this, this is real, this is real talk, right? And this is not old, this is not like from the fifties, 
This is data till 2019, that's a few years ago. And I don't think it has changed much. Matter, a matter of fact, it's probably gotten worse because of the pandemic we had recently. Um, well, still have right now, anyhow. And um, so, so the, a deeper question that I, I like to ask is that even though we have been doing these culturally relevant pedagogy and all that stuff for the last 30 years, um, nothing has changed a whole lot, you know? And the question I ask myself is like, something else is needed, right? Something else, there's an issue that not been addressed, right? Because um, obviously the, the only other group that is below African-Americans or really close is Native Americans. So then I always ask myself, what's unique about those, those two people groups, right? And that's a question that um, that is hard to bring up because it creates, you know, I bring it up anyhow because, you know, but it creates a sense of like, of, of uh, I might say it's guilt or, or discomfort that, uh, and we kind of usually take it back to the family or the household or stuff like that. And I think that there's a much, much deeper reason why that is. Um, but that's something that we, we um, I bring it up with my students all the time. They know when they come to my class, you're gonna see all this kind of stuff um, when we talk about it and, and try to get them to understand that history is, is important. I mean, I'm not a history teacher, but man, that's one subject that I spend a lot of time doing because it really explain a lot of stuff that we encounter on a daily basis. And I think that's important um, for students to really understand because I could see when I show this kind of data, African-American students in my class, I always think about, I wonder how, how, how they actually feel about that, right? Like what what was that inner um, question they're asking themselves, man, this is real, right? This this is this is 2019 data, and and that that's where we are. So so I always kind of wonder, like you know, it's hard to find out, but like, what are you thinking? I know you're gonna say that's not gonna be me, you know, but this is what the data is saying. So to relate this data. This it's obvious here <laughs> to comments that I hear quite often is um, school. So school is a, a sanctuary. It's a sanctuary. A lot of these kids are coming from situations where school is their sanctuary. Um, I don't know that these sanctuaries are at the same level. Are they, tr <laughs> are they truly sanctuaries? Because we're not talking about family dynamic anymore. We're not talking about you know, the challenges after school hours, how hungry these students are, their, their basic needs being met or not being met. We're talking about the level of sanctuary that they're able to, to have access to. And if school is a sanctuary, then something's wrong with the sanctuary. If you look at this data, if I could just add to that, um you know just the, the cliche of, of knowledge is power right and, and and the importance as you know of life chances that you know in education as you showed dr collingwood in your first slide but as far as earned income over time depending on uh uh you know educational attainment um 
when and anytime this data, right, these facts, um, history, um, and its relation to current data is, um, is is brought into the academy, it's brought into the classroom, and students begin to be reflective and engage and start to uh, critique, right, um, these systemic uh, deficits, right, and these systemic um, these, the perpetuation of these inequality and these inequities from a systemic standpoint, right? Like showing them the data, um, it, it's, it starts to become criminalized, right? And like what we see going on in Florida, right? With this attack on, like I was, you know, this quote unquote woke culture, right? I mean, just showing this data alone, this facts is truth, right? Our truth, um, it, it, anytime we try to do something different and, 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 and question the status quo and show the facts, it's under attack, right? I know uh, here in Arizona, there is an HB uh, 2458 um, that's being pushed through the legislating currently. Um, HB 2458, race, ethnicity, prohibited instruction. Um, and, it, and it goes by basically criminalizing everything that Dr. Collingwood is talking about, um, that he, he, how he hooks his students from the very beginning and starts beginning the pathway for them to develop his academic identity, become inspired and wanna be, uh, you know, and be the change, right? Anytime we go there, it's a perceived threat to the dominant group. So that's like, how do we combat that, right? Forgiveness for using, you know, I guess war terminology, but how do we, how do we confront that? And how do we keep on confronting that and not get battle fatigued? So those are some of my thoughts. Um, man, that, that's just powerful, right? And, and, and it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge because um, it's risky, right? It's risky to kind of put yourself out there. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be at a level where, um, you know, I have a little more latitude than most teachers to kind of speak speak my truth because um, you know there are certain classes that need to be taught at a high school, and I'm the one that's qualified to teach those classes, right? So, so for me, I have a little bit more freedom to really speak certain truths to um, to students, um, and certainly I take that seriously because. Um, man, they're up next, they're up next. And if we are not um, very conscious and open and letting them know the reality of which they're gonna encounter because we have experienced it, I think we are not doing what we should be doing as educators, right? I think that's important, but it's risky, right? It's risky because if you, if you, if you rock the boat too hard, I mean, you could get, Throw off the boat, right? And I, I know that's your livelihood, so it's, it's a challenge. Um, but I think, um, and, and especially in, in Arizona, since, well, this is interesting, right? So in Arizona, we have a African-American population about 6%, right? So I always believe that a school district could, could improve, right? And, and still ignore every concern of the African-American students because they're only 6% of the population. You see what I'm saying? So we could show growth, you know, in scores and all that stuff as a district, but yet, so when you break it down by race and culture, 
you know, African-American, Native Americans, and some Hispanic are really at the bottom. You know what I mean? And we don't have to even address that because we could show that our district has improved, you know, because we are such a small population. So that's an issue that, that needs to be addressed in a big way. And also too, we just don't have enough, especially minority teachers who are teaching in the STEM field, right? Those what we call quote unquote, highly valued positions, you know what I mean? So that's another thing that we need, we need to, yeah, to work on, right? To help kind of facilitate this growth of, um, of our minority students. Thank you for saying that, Dr. Collingwood. I know that a hurdle I have to face every year when new students are coming in to my classroom is I have to establish that we have to be human first. And when they first look at me, I'm, I'm a white female, right? White privilege, here she comes and she thinks she's in, tell me how to be a human. You don't know me, <laughs> right? And so that's the first thing I do. Okay, then, then let me get to know you. Let, let, me, let me best serve you. Let me do, help, help me have some insight on what can help me help you to truly embrace your full potential whatever you believe that is. And if you believe you don't have a potential, let me show you something different because you don't know your potential yet. And that goes back to, back to growth mindset and Carol Dweck, I hope you've heard of growth mindset because a lot of students have been traumatized. We'll just say it after many conversations, I have a lot of students in my math class who've been traumatized by their public education in one way or another. And so, how do we get past that and really embrace the individual and embrace their STEM identity and really show them that they are capable and they are worthy of what can be nurtured. And so Dr. Collingwood, I know you've said this so many times, we have to come to our classroom as our whole self. And sometimes that can be challenging, especially whenever these are, these are not, I'm just gonna say it. Many teachers maybe don't even know how to do that. And so it's not the majority of teachers coming with this attitude. And so it's really about breaking that wall first so that the educators themselves can understand that their whole perspective can be more welcoming and create a safer place for students to feel more success and grow, grow their STEM identities Thank if you. that first well is said. addressed. Well said. Um, okay, this is another interesting slide again. Now this one, um, as I said before, everything I'm showing you here is stuff that I do in my classroom. And, you know, and we have these discussions. And I thought this slide usually get a lot of attention. No, not this one, sorry. Wrong. Oh, we'll go wrong direction here. This slide usually a um, lot of attention come from this slide because you talk about we so we talk about students who are actually experiencing this right in their families and stuff like that and we cannot have these discussions as to what can you do because at the end of the day I tell them so I show you all this stuff so you have the data where you are going to be right and, and what it takes to get there um, so these discussions are 
they have in my class. Um, I know for a fact they don't have in any other math class at my school, but in my class we have these discussions all the time, and and then we 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 refer back to them at different times. You know when when we start to get off track, you know, I kind of bring it back up. Remember, guys, this this. This, this, this is what the data is saying, right? Where do you want to be? What, what can we do? How can we address that, right? And I think um, it's important for us to think about it from that perspective. Um, Dr. Collingwood, we had a question in the chat. It asked about the, the time period of this data. Yeah, so this data came from the last census we had recent census, was it 2019 or 2020? One of those recent census data. This, this, this is from 2000 to 2019, this one. And this one came from the same, around the same time period also. Oops, I didn't want to get to that one yet, but this, um, yeah, it came from that same time period. Yeah, I wasn't monitoring the chat. Oh no. Okay, thanks. Okay. Yes. Um, now here's another slide that this one. This one, man, when I saw this one recently, I was like, I was heartbroken because after I told told all the kids about education being very, very important and all that stuff. And and then we have to bump up on this slide. And I, I want to thank, of course, Blaze for kind of highlighting when I gave her the slide, the highlight and make it look this nice. But this slide here speaks a lot. Um, it really talk about what we will look at later on is what we call invisible hand, right? There's a lot more to just being educated. Okay. Students have a lot to say about this slide, a lot. You know, and they, they, they complain. You tell me what education this and look at this. What do you say about this? I had to bow my head and, and tell them some, 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 uh, some of the underlying facts, right? That is never discussed, right? The kind of systems that are in place that you have to navigate also around those systems, you know, because this, this is deep, right? You talk about household network, very, very race. And you look and you see um, African-American with a college degree, head of household, you know, and compare with a white, non-Hispanic, head of household, only high school degree, and look at the disparity in the net worth. So this also gave me the opportunity to really talk about a historical perspective, right? And I think very students, um, not very often hear in-depth analysis of the historical perspective. And I really spend time breaking that down, you know, going from 1619 to 2019, you know, really break that down and talk about what happened in between those time period. I have this other little project I do called um, the Wealth Gap Explained, right? So there's another project that my students do where we look at the wealth gap and there's a nice video we look at it and we have to analyze it and talk about it and write about it. Because even though I teach mathematics, students in my class have to write, have to communicate a lot, you know, because, because um, I think 
Um, I need to be more, more holistic in what I do as an educator, especially as a math educator, because sometimes math gets this kind of unfair um, critique um, that is all just about numbers and stuff, but it's about analysis and describing describing the data. So I, I do a lot of work on this. Um, I could talk whole day about this slide, but I want to hear what, what other people have to say. But, Okay, since nobody else spoke up, I, 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 I have to pop in here. Um, this slide. Go ahead. Uh, uh, sorry, do you want to? You want me to come on camera? Yeah, I could hear you nice and loud. Um, so this slide is disturbing to me in a different way. People have said a lot, a lot, a lot that um, black people. Um, don't have more money and more opportunities because they don't have more education. But even, I, I, I could not, I didn't have the data to back up what I would tell people. This is not an education problem because there are plenty of people um, who have, you know, a college BS, a, a bachelor's, a, a master's, or even a doctorate. Well, in a doctorate level, that's different. I, don't, I, I, could, I can't speak to that. But I know people who have, plenty of people who have bachelors and, and some people who have masters who are still not able to gain those higher levels and especially at the same rate and equality of um, other races. Uh, uh, Devon Morris and Lizzie, Devon and Lizzie um, showed a graph, a, a, a stat as well in their talk when they opened that, that you know, the median, the, the, the range of, of wealth just for your color, their skin color is is going to be so much lower, and it's. Um, I'm not sure to answer what you said before, or to to comment on what you said before, Renee. You asked, "What can we do?" I don't. I don't. I, that's a really good question, because if there are whole groups who are dead set to keep the disparity as it is, and they are the ones who have the stronghold on the power you know many black people in other in other races too hispanic even asian people um it, everybody they're trying to help they're trying to help there are people trying to help but if if the powers that have the powers are creating laws and creating systems stre strengthening systems that are designed to keep that disparity as it is that's a really good that becomes a, a real critical question what can we do? Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. I'd like to chime in a little bit here, uh, just or make a comment. Um, so this tells us poverty is historical, right? And then also like the colonial mindset, right? So this happened, I want to say today, Saturdays happened four days ago. Um, there was someone um, and we we know how how job hiring works generally, right? You you apply, um, whether it's Applitrack, um, and someone at Talent or Human Resources will screen it based on qualifications. If you meet the minimum requirements, whether they're asking for a master's degree, uh, whatever certification required, and then they'll push those apply, uh, applications through to to be interviewed, right? Um, so there was a comment. Someone got a position, African American female. Another female of color stated um, after it was announced and made public, 
Is she qualified? Right? So that alone is um, speaks to this, right? And this mindset that we're up again, regardless of qualifications, many times, right? Of, of certification, of course, she's got to give and she's qualified. She was interviewed, right? I mean, she met all the minimum requirements, uh, the, you know, whatever they asked for in that particular job description. Um, but the, 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 you know, the biases, right? The, uh, the, uh, the, the, the tone, the message that, um, that she only got it because of what she looks like, right? It was a, as a quote unquote affirmative action, right? Gift or what have you, right? So, I mean, that's the, um, the historical um, colonized mindsets, right? That, that are very real today. So I just wanted to, I mean, that happened four days ago that comment and was she qualified that was her that was the statement so, so it's very real it's as hard as that is to process and, and and accept um it's out there so uh i don't want to change the topic too much but we do have a very interesting prompt here in the chat it says Go to school, get a degree, and you have the same opportunity for success, the bootstrap narrative of America dogma. So if you can, I see you can read the chat there. So if you want to continue reading, but I would just like to speak to this because it says, how can we help, right? We're here to talk about this educational component. And so I have to come to terms that a lot of my seniors, right? I don't teach the higher level classes like Dr. Dr. Collingwood. And so I have to first get these kids on board that they're not in the dumb math, right? And so what I've been using lately is a lot of um, very controversial data science topics. And so we've been delving into data and different, um, much like we're, we're showing this, the, the model of this particular discussion and having students talk about these things and using data. Because from that angle, you know, am I teaching the concept? Am I am I trying to come with a bias and and teach a concept about you know critical race theory or something that would fall under that category? No, no, I'm speaking to the math, right? We're looking at data, and then the students are allowed to really exercise their voice, student choice, student voice, and so this is something that I feel has really empowered my seniors this year because we've even looked at data on credit. Right? We've talked about how to have healthy credit and how to what it would take to start a small business. Maybe these students aren't going to even a trade school. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Maybe they have no intention of taking any more education past high school. But that's not the only thing that can help them be successful in the real world. And so not coddling students, not dummying down standards, um, speaking to issues in the classroom that are preventing the most equitable learning environment. Right, and, and how the students can really take ownership while they're there with me for those 54 minutes a day. And so I really liked this comment. So thank you, Jody, for, for interjecting this um, because I think it's not, it's not a one size fits all education. And until we address some of the bigger issues about what, what we can do in that 54 minutes to really educate our students to be as as high functioning as possible once they leave that sanctuary, for lack of a better word, um, you know we can we can continue to to complain and and poke at the bear and say you know what can we do to change it, 
but it really does start, they say grassroots for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. At the bottom, start at the bottom, one voice at a time. Yeah, um, I think, um, again, I, I, I can't speak for everyone because my situation is kind of unique in what I teach and stuff like that. So I have uh, uh, more opportunities to have you know, small group discussion with students, right? And um, and especially minority students who are in calculus or pre-calc or something like that. And we have this discussion all the time. And, and it's amazing <laughs> what happens when I, instead of doing calculus that day, we just talk, right? We just look at data and talk about stuff. And one of the things I told them, and I could use my story too, and you know, tell them that, um, that in spite of the conditions that exist, you have to be successful, right? Because at the end of the day, you are like the tip of a spear. And if you could get through, then people who come after you have an opportunity to get through, right? And really have them deeply understand what that really means. So, they, so now the calculus that you're learning, that's not hard compared to the job that you have to do, right? That why are you doing this? You know what I mean? And and so so that's what we talk about a lot in my class, like like how to be resilient, right? Dr. Dr. Dave term, right? How to how to fight through stuff, right? What is your job? What's your position? Why are we doing this, right? And it's hard. It's hard for teenagers, 16, 17 years old, to really think about it that deeply. But that's something that we really have to spend the time but you could only do that if you have relationships with students right you can only do that if they trust that you have their back right that's when you could do these kind of things and i think for for many educators it's like a factory right you just kind of run through take this take this 30 students you you really don't have a chance to, to really know students enough to really have these deep discussions that's going to really make a difference, right? Because I told my students all the time, I mean, you will never get a job asking you to solve this quadratic equation. You'll never get a job like that, right? And we have to fight through that all the time. Yeah? You know, you will not get a job. No one's going to pay you to do that, but it will pay you how to think, how to analyze, right? So we kind of talk about that stuff a lot um, in my classes. Um, I know we are we bumping up on time. We only got four minutes left, so I want to kind of move on if I may. I know this is, this is tough, but um, I think this <laughs> let's let this land right here. Right, this is last slide. So after talking about all this stuff, right, the fact that if you get education, you know, if you get degrees, if you get all that stuff, you should do well. But then there is this, the invisible hand, right? The some that's orchestrating it. And that's why I tell the kids, those are the systems that are in place, right? That we're going to encounter, that we have to deal with, right? And um, in, 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 we use a lot in, in economics, right? The invisible hand, right? That, that cause stuff to change and all that stuff. So there are things that we could do, but there are stuff that's really beyond our control. That is systems. And those are the things we need to really sort of think about how do we break down those systems, right? How do we have the right people in positions who really gonna fight for us on, on that systemic level, right? So I, I, I'll, I'll stop talking now, but I just wanna hear what, what we think about that.
I'll just chime one comment for me, Dr. Collingwood, kind of wrapping up on how you began and, and where, where we're at at this point. Um, there's going to be outliers, right? There's going to be people who accumulate a, a excessive amount of wealth and or, or maybe don't have a, a, a formal you know, degree. Um, but in order to create less outliers and more the status quo, right? It, it's through systems change. Right, like how do it's it's how do we uh, critique systems that create the disparities that we've been talking about today, right? And ironically, right, it's it's usually how do we acquire the navigational capital, or you know, become educated, right, to get inside, right, to be able to start, um, you know policy change and systems change, right? Getting on the inside, you know, and, and being able to have influence and impact to start creating um, systems, right? That are more just, so. Let's see. And then here, I'd like to address Dr. At 11.31, Dr. Dave said, I feel that in spite of where we have been and improved, how do we lift up our skills? And so I think, Knowledge is power. It's back to that. And if if my if my reach can help teachers better understand how to reach that one student that may not have been reached, it is about building those relationships. Building those relationships. And so if it takes one student at a time to have a, a strong relationship with an educator like Dr. Collingwood or other people that are really working. I've, I've had the pleasure of working with some people this year that are across the country and uh, really speaking to this. So I appreciate everyone's participation today because the more that this is brought up and the more we can really have people in the trenches, right? <laughs> Wherever you are in your trench, if you're, if you're sharing that voice and you're doing your part, it, it's got to shift something, right? Change the momentum. Thank you. I know we right in the nail, man. 12. You did, you did it. Hey, um, I, I just want to say uh, thank you to this educational panel and all, you know, Blaze, um, Renee, Dr. Collingwood. Um, education is a very important thing for me anyway. You know, that's how I've been able to get to places that I need to in, in life or I wanted to get to in life. So education has, has been a thing for me. And, you know, Dr. Collinwood and I, you know, we grew up on the same island, you know, just giving you some historical context in St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And and we share a family, right? He's, he's part of my family. I'm part of his family. And, um, you know, this is a very important thing. So my sister, who beats him up all the time as his wife, Latifa, um, you know, the three of us, you know, have all gotten the highest degree that we could get, right? Called a terminal degree of getting a doctorate. So, you know, something that is really important to our family. And that's why to me, this session is really important for all of us, right? To start talking about the, the, the challenges that we have in education, because that is foundational for us to move forward and for us to lift ourselves up and lift our brothers and sisters up, you know, irregardless, you know, in spite of race, in spite of all the challenges, we have to put the best foot forward as educators, 
you know, whether you're a formal educator or not, we have to really lean in and try to see if we could help those who, who need the help the most. So thank you so much for such great um, insights on this. Let's talk about talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No share with Dr. Dave.
Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have some share. No, no share with Dr. Dave.